Ah, yes, you're listening to Life 101, where we live in faith every day. This is Line Upon Line, where we study God's Word line by line. And I'm your host, Pastor Adrian. Verses 9 and 10 says, Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? And then he answers, Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. So if you're serious about your walk with God and you want to understand true doctrine, it's time to get your Bible and follow along as we study God's Word. It's time to be weaned from the milk. Get your Bible, tell a friend, tell your pastor about this study, and let's get into God's Word line upon line. before you, Lord, and praise your holy name. We thank you, God, for this opportunity to study your word and to have access to the ancient words of your holy prophets. We pray for understanding, Father, and we ask your blessing in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. Well, we are up to Isaiah. Great, I'm getting a message that everything's good here. We're up to Isaiah chapter 57, and what I want to do is just jump right in. But before I do that, actually, let me just say that uh, next week, Bible study will be on Thursday evening. I'm going to be traveling next week, and uh, I was thinking of recording it, uh, but I want to, because it's the end of the month, uh, Pastor Murray and I would like to host a live Q&A session as we're trying to build that uh, into a new practice, that at the end of each month, we'll just push pause and give you an opportunity to ask questions, anything that we've said that uh, perhaps is unclear and you want some clarification on it, and we'll go ahead and answer those questions. And that'll be, uh, we'll answer the questions on Facebook, as well as on the chat, which is at cgi.churchonline.org. We won't be able to uh, accommodate YouTube. Apparently, we're not, no longer broadcasting live on YouTube because of some change in policy with Facebook. So next week, Thursday evening Bible study, Pastor Murray will join me, and we'll do a live Q&A, uh, monitoring the questions that come through on Facebook, as well as the cgi.churchonline.org uh, chat. So let's get into the study for today, and just give me a second here. I'm on the road, and uh, I'm just seeing that my, my Bible app is not coming through properly, so I just need to fix that. Give me one moment, and uh, let's see what we can do here. 
so thank you for your patience as I just sort this out. Uh, let's see what we're going to do here. Let's just figure out what this works there. And there we go. Okay, so hopefully I'm still coming through loud and clear. And we will just uh, get this all set up here. And we're almost there. Let's see. There we go. And let's do it like this. Apologize when I'm on the road. I don't have everything exactly the way I would like to have it. So I have to be able to just tweak on the fly. But we're good. We can do that. Okay, so this passage here now, we were able to read that the righteous man or the righteous perishes and no man lays it to heart. And merciful men are taken away, none considering that the righteous is taken away from the evil to come. Now this is a very interesting passage. There are three uh, items that I want us to note here. One is there's a righteous man or a right, there are righteous people. And then there are people that don't consider this. They don't, it's not important to them that the righteous are perishing. And three, there's evil to come. So we need to define our terms. Who are the righteous? Who are the people that don't care? And what is the evil that is to come? Now Micah, the prophet Micah, is going to help us out a bit here because he sees the same thing. He says, the good man is perished out of the earth, and there is none upright among men. So what Micah says is, what's happening here? The, the righteous men are being destroyed. They're being murdered. They're being wiped out. And there's none upright among men. So the men that are left are left because they're evil. We could say through the lens of Revelation, they're left because they agree to worship the beast. And so the, the, anybody who resists the beast is being slaughtered, is being slain. And those that agree to worship the beast, they're, they're okay. They can live. So he goes on to say, they all lie in wait for blood. So everyone that's left, they're all a piece. They're all in agreement and they're just, they're murderous and, and they're out hunting for blood. They hunt every man, his brother, with a net. So something has ideologically possessed them that they don't even care about brother, sister, mother, uh, father, uh, brother-in-law, son-in-law, daughter-in-law. All family relations mean nothing when they are ideologically possessed by whatever this ideology is, it's paramount. And they hunt every man, his brother, with a net. Micah goes on to say, why do they do this? That they may do evil with both hands earnestly. So the righteous man is interfering with their agenda. And so the answer to them is just get rid of that person, get rid of those people. And that way we are justified to do the evil that we want to do. So they may do evil with both hands earnestly. The prince asks, and the judge asks for a reward. And the great man, he utters his mischievous de desire, so they wrap it up. So the, even the leaders are corrupting themselves. And, and the leaders that should be looking out for us, we can't trust them. So the elite, the leaders in society, they are corrupt. And all they care about is how to enrich themselves. And they'll drop hints as to what they're looking for, and they expect you to fulfill their desires. He says, Micah goes on, The best of them is as a brer. The most upright is sharper 
than a thorn hedge. This is horrible. This is, so the righteous man is wiped out. And those that are left, uh, they're horrible. They're murderous. They're, they're dangerous. So the best of them is a zebrer. The most upright is sharper than a thorn hedge. The day of your watchmen and your visitation comes, now shall be their perplexity. So Micah is looking forward, and he's seeing that even though these wicked are gaining the upper hand, that there's a time just a little bit further on when their judgment comes. And this is the evil that Isaiah is prophesying. That, yes, they're, they're wiping out the, the righteous people, but they're not considering what's actually going on. And that there is a great evil that's to come upon them. And the righteous is actually being taken away to be spared this evil. In, in uh, the letter to the Philadelphians, uh, John or Christ describes this as, I will keep you from the hour of tribulation that shall come upon the whole earth. Now, we really didn't have to go to Micah to get the answer to who, who are the righteous, who are those that are not laying it to heart, and what is the evil. We could have stayed within Isaiah and just look at what we read last week. In Isaiah chapter 56, Isaiah wrote, and which is by reminder because we covered this last week, he said, Thus says the Lord, keep you judgment, and do justice. For my salvation is near to come, and my righteousness to be revealed. So there are a set of people who are listening to the prophet and are making that commitment to keep judgment and to do justice. And they're looking forward to the salvation of the Lord because they realize it's, it's near, it's about to be revealed. Blessed is the man that does this. So this is the righteous man. This man that does this, this is the one that is going to be slaughtered. This is the one that's going to be taken out of the way. So, so in Isaiah 56, there's two parties. There's the righteous and there's the wicked. And Isaiah 56 begins with the righteous. Blessed is the man that does this, the son of man that lays hold on it, that keeps the Sabbath from polluting it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. And then we went on to read about the eunuch and the stranger. They, they, they can be included in this great promise as well. And so these are the righteous. And so when we went to Acts and we saw Philip uh, speaking to the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, these would be in this category. So in the end time, those that have the same faith as Philip and the same faith as the Ethiopian eunuch who are responding to the word of God, they are put in the category, or say we are put in the category of the righteous. In the same chapter, Isaiah also identifies the wicked, the evil. Here he says, and dropping down in the last part of the chapter, you'll recall that there was this summons to the beasts of the field. All you beasts of the field, and also to the beasts of the forest, all you beasts of the field come to devour, yes, all you beasts in the, for in the forest. It, this is like open season, this is uh, mealtime, you know, this is, this is the feast time, this is time to come and devour. Devour who? Devour the righteous. So those in the first part of Isaiah 56 that are responding to God. Now, the beasts of the field are moving in to devour them. And the watchmen are not doing their job. The watchmen who should see this, who should be crying out, who should be warning, they're asleep on the job. And they're so uh, selfish, they don't really care. 
So his watchmen are blind. These are the wicked. The, or these are the ones that are not laying it to heart. So Isaiah 57 opens with uh, that the righteous perishes and no man lays it to heart. Well, here, here are the men that are not laying it to heart. They should be watchmen, but they don't care. So when the righteous are perishing, they're not doing their job and they just couldn't care less. His watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They, they should be barking. They should be creating some sense of excitement that the beasts are coming. And instead, they've got nothing to say. They're dumb dogs. And they're blind, meaning they don't have access to the prophets. They can't see what the prophets have been warning. And so these prophets have been warning. We should be looking and seeing the signs to say the sword is on the land. This is happening now but we're not paying attention to the prophets, and therefore we cannot give the warning of the prophets. So this is the blindness. The ignorance, we don't, we're not studying the word. We don't, we don't have the knowledge. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. We've got nothing to say. We might be talking, but from God's perspective, we're saying nothing. They cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. They love it. Slumber is wonderful. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where maybe you're really, really tired and you, you, you wake up in the morning and, and you just, you, you don't have to get up and you don't want to get up and, and you just, the, the sleep is just so sweet. This is the, this is the spiritual state that they're in. They're in this, the, the prophets, the, 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 the watchmen, the men who should be warning, they're in this spiritual slumber and they love it. It's just, it just feels so great. Yes, they are greedy dogs. So they're dumb dogs, but Isaiah goes on to say they're greedy dogs, which can never have enough. So that's why Micah was saying they, they are, they're willing to have a bribe. They're trying to enrich themselves. They'll give hints as to what they're looking for, and they just they, can't, they don't know how to say it's enough. They want more. They are greedy dogs, which can never have enough, and they are shepherds that cannot understand. They're shepherds. Wow, they're, they're, they're supposed to be guides, but they don't understand. They can't understand. They all look to their own way. This is why they don't lay it to heart. The righteous man is perishing, and they don't care. Why don't they care? Because they're looking to their own way. Everyone for his gain from his quarter. Come you, they say they, I will fetch wine. Let's have a party. I'll get the wine, and we'll fill ourselves with strong drink. And tomorrow shall be as this day and much more abundant. So they don't see the evil that is to come because they don't have access to the prophets. If we are reading the prophets, we know that God, his righteousness is about to appear. And he's a, he's a, 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 a ferocious lion. He is the conquering lion of the tribe of Judah. And he is coming with judgment and with reward. And so the righteous are looking to him for reward, but the righteous also know that he's coming with judgment. He's coming with, with ferocity for, to punish the sins of man. And so these people, are they, they just have no access to this knowledge. So in their view, tomorrow is going to be like today, only it's going to be even more. We're going to even enrich ourselves even more. So this evil now, so we answered, uh, we answered two questions. We answered who are the righteous in Isaiah 57.1. And then we answered, who are those that are not laying it to heart, that the righteous are perishing? Now we need to answer the question, what is the evil? What is the evil that they don't see is coming? Here, in, back in Isaiah 45, we read, 
God himself says, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. God is the one that creates this evil. This evil should be defined as catastrophe. So God creates catastrophe. And those that are not laying to heart that the righteous are perishing, they don't understand that God is packaging and preparing a catastrophe to come upon the land. God is the one that creates this catastrophe. I make peace and I create evil. The Lord does all these things. Back to Micah. Let's go back to the prophet Micah. He says this. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, against this family do I devise an evil. So this is God's family. This is Israel. And Micah is telling us, this is what God says through Micah, Behold, against this family do I devise an evil, from which you shall not remove your necks. So these people that are the dumb dogs, the shepherds, they're part of the family. And they should be warning the family that the beasts have come upon the land, the sword is on the land, but they're not doing their job. They only care about enriching themselves. And they're part of the family, and God is saying, you know what? I'm going to prepare an evil that, it says here, from which you shall not remove your necks. So the sword is on the land, the sword is on your neck, and you can't, you're not going to be able to get out of this. From which you shall not remove your necks, neither shall you go haughtily. So this arrogance is going to end, for this time is evil. So this is the time that the shepherds, the, 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 the dumb dogs, the blind guides, they have no knowledge that this evil is coming. Jeremiah says something similar. He says in Jeremiah 11, 11, Therefore thus says the Lord, Behold, I, I personally, will bring evil upon them. And so as we understand the prophets, we begin to understand there's a sequence of events that nation will go to war against nation. This is going to reconfigure the balance of power in the world so that it gets consolidated with a beast power. That beast power is going to come upon, this is the evil that God is creating. This evil, this beast power, is going to come upon the family of God, the family of Israel. That is the nation that we call Israel today, these are the tribe of Judah, but also broader Israel. These uh, Judeo-Christian nations that are enjoying tremendous wealth and are not attributing it to God and just think that they can just keep going on like this. God says, I'm going to bring evil upon this family. Behold, I will bring evil upon them, which they shall not be able to escape. It's the same thing that Micah said, that he's going to bring an evil on their necks that they, they're not going to be able to remove. Jeremiah sees the same thing, but Jeremiah is now speaking more specifically about Judah, Micah talking about Israel. Behold, I will bring evil upon them, which they shall not be able to escape. And though they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. Remember, God is doing this because he's driving his family to repentance. He made a promise to Abraham that he's going to work through this tribe, the, the, the family of Abraham. He made a promise to Moses that if they keep his commandments, they will be this nation or this kingdom of priests. But if they don't, they're going to be punished. And so this is the punishment according to the covenant. But at the same time, he's going to work this punishment in such a way that he's able to fulfill his promise to Abraham with these very same people. So this is a process of driving them to true repentance. Micah goes on in chapter 3, verse 5. Thus says the Lord, 
concerning the prophets that make my people err. So there's a, there's a leadership crisis in Israel and in Judah that the, the prophets, the, the leaders who should be leading the people, they're leading them to, make, to err. They're, they're leading them to catastrophe. So thus says the Lord concerning the prophets that make my people err, that bite with their teeth. So this is where Mike is saying they're sharp, they're dangerous. And cry, peace. And he that puts not into their mouths, they even prepare war against him. You know, when I, when I read this prophecy, it reminds me of Donald Trump. That these leaders in Israel, who are just wrapped up in developing their own wealth, that if you don't put money in their wealth basket, if, you, if for example, you want to build a wall to prevent these dangerous drugs from coming into the country, that these leaders in Israel who are being enriched by this drug trade, by human trafficking, when, you, when you're going to interfere with their money, with their wealth, they're going to prepare war against you. And so you see this man, he's just every day he's embattled. And why? Because he wants to protect his people? Because he wants to make sure that this human trafficking comes to an end? And this is why they go to war against him? Well, if they'll do this to him, what will they do to the righteous who stand up and call them out? and tell them that they are wicked. They're going to prepare war against us. So we come back now to Isaiah chapter 57, and we can understand now who's who. The righteous, the first part of Isaiah 56, those that obey God, they're going to perish. So the, the, the leadership is in collusion with the beast power. The beast power is going to be just wiping out the righteous. And no man, that is no Israelite leader, lays it to heart. They don't care. And merciful men are taken away, none considering that the righteous is taken away from the evil to come. They think that tomorrow is going to be just like today, only better. Only they'll be wealthier. And they have no idea what's coming. And that the righteous is going to avoid this. As uh, Revelation says, I'll keep you from the hour of tribulation that will come upon the whole earth. He says then, that the righteous will enter into rest. The righteous, he shall enter into peace. They shall rest in their beds, each one walking in his uprightness. So not only is God going to give the righteous rest, and, and the wicked don't understand this, but in their rest, which is their death, they're going to sleep, they're also going to walk in their uprightness. So very clearly, we see here within Isaiah, a prophecy of the resurrection, of the first resurrection. That the righteous will sleep, but that's not the end. They're going to come back to life and they're going to walk. They're going to stand upright and walk in their uprightness. Now, Micah says the same thing. At the end of this prophecy, and that prophecy in Micah that we were reading, uh, where um, they're just so wicked that they even turn against their own family, that's actually the prophecy that Jesus Christ quoted. I believe it's in Matthew 10 when he says that uh, uh, brother will put brother to death and father the son and uh, the mother the daughter-in-law. He was quoting the pro this very prophecy that, I, that Micah could see of the end time when people are going to be vicious. They're going to be brutal. And then at the end of all of this, Micah says, Rejoice not against me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. So Micah is seeing the very same thing that Isaiah saw. saw that the, the, the righteous will be put to death, but they're going to stand up again, and they're going to walk in their uprightness. And so Micah says, don't rejoice against me when I fall. That's temporary. 
I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. And this is, these are the words that we have to take strength in. As the world collapses around us, we need to know that nothing can stop us. Nothing can stop us because the Lord is for us. And if we, if we sleep, if we die, we're just taken out of the way to avoid what's coming. And then we're going to be brought back to life. Back to Isaiah 57. Now, so that's the righteous. The righteous are going to rest in their beds and they'll be at peace. But then he says this, But draw near here, you sons of the sorceress, the seed of the adulterer and the whore. Wow! You know, this isn't me. I'm just, I'm just reading the Bible. This, these, this is God talking. So there's, there's the righteous, and they're going to rest in their beds, and they're going to be brought back to life, and they're going to walk in their uprightness. But then there's the wicked, the wicked within Israel. And God says about the wicked within Israel, come here. And what does he call them? You sons of the sorceress, you seed of the adulterer and the whore. God is saying like, this is, this is so deep in your DNA. It's like you can't help yourself. The, 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 the seed doesn't fall, the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree. So the same way that the tree is bent and crooked and wicked, so are its offspring. And, and this same language actually was alluded to in Isaiah 50, where Bebera, a couple of months ago. Thus says the Lord, where is, your bill, where is the bill of your mother's divorcement, whom I have put away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities have you sold yourselves, and for your transgressions is your mother put away. So God is saying, like, this is just so deep-rooted in these people. This is, this is not a, a recent phenomenon. This is something that's been going on from generation to generation. It's just like it's built into their DNA, this wickedness. Back to Isaiah 57. Against whom do you sport yourselves? Against whom make you a wide mouth and draw out the tongue? Are you not children of transgression, a seed of falsehood? This, this is condemnation upon condemnation. God, God really has no regard for the righteousness of these people. He's saying like this, you're so far gone that from generation to generation, you're nothing but wicked. What are you doing? You're inflaming yourselves with idols under every green tree. So, so, so instead of worshiping Yahweh, instead of listening to the prophets, you've gone the other way. And you're inflaming yourselves with idols under every green tree. Notice this, slaying the children in the valleys under the cliffs of the rocks. So this sort of idolatry, which leads to sexual immorality, which leads to the production of offspring, which are unwanted, then leads to murder, infanticide, adultery. So today, we see the exact same thing. We see this incredible level of immorality, which is idolatry. People today can say how sophisticated they are. God is using ancient people to uncover deep human truths. And today we've got all this fascinating technology around us, and we look and feel so modern, and yet we're very primitive people. And we are, our, our people, our society, are worshippers of the devil.
I can't apologize for this is this is reality. We think we're secular. And and the devil loves the fact that we don't believe that he exists. But in our practices, we are actually actually worshiping the devil. And the same way ancient Israel became idolatrous, and that idolatry led to sexual immorality. And that sexual immorality led to unwanted children, which then led to the murder of those unwanted children. We're doing the exact same thing today. We might not explicitly say we're worshiping idols, but we are. Even technology is an idol. Human beings are idols. Money is an idol. Power is an idol. Sex is an idol. And we're worshiping all of this. And we're losing any sense of morality. One thing for sure is we will never promote abstinence. We will never be, promote uh, marital fidelity. Instead, we're going to promote the freedom of women to do what they want with their bodies. And the fact that this results in unwanted children, no problem. We'll just slaughter them all. We'll just pull them limb from limb from within the womb and destroy life in the womb. And should a child actually be born, we'll actually kill it upon birth. This is what we've descended into. And this is the worship of Satan loves this. That human beings, made in the likeness and image of God, should be destroyed and slaughtered. And we're doing it ourselves. And this is what the nations of Israel have come to. And it's nothing new. It's the very same practice. So today, the same way that God called these people children of the sorceress and children of the whore, this is what we are today. This, this is who we are. And if we can only acknowledge this and come to repentance, maybe there's a chance that we can avoid the slaughter that's to come. But we're not listening. So here they're slaying the children in the valleys under the cliffs of the rocks. It's just amazing to see how accurate God's description and assessment of his people is. Now, in Deuteronomy, the, the law was laid down that Israel should not participate in these practices. He says here, Moses writes, You shall utterly destroy all the places wherein the nations which you shall possess served their gods, upon the high mountains and upon the hills and under every green tree. So instead of, uh, instead of uh, destroying these altars and this pagan practice, Israel actually joined them and went under these green trees, and hence we have our Christmas tree worship and all of this. Uh, it's, it's, it's coming from these pagan practices that we should have stamped out. But Israel just loves this. They, they love to, in fact, I was, uh, I'm, I'm traveling in Vancouver, and uh, I was just on the, the road, and I see this group of Canadians worshiping Hare Krishna and chanting Hare Krishna. Like, what's wrong with you? But this is, this is just built into uh, Israel's DNA. Instead of worshiping their God. They want to seek after other gods because that's, that's right, that's fascinating. And so we're very happy to accommodate other gods and denigrate Jesus Christ. It's unbelievable. Here in 1 Kings, uh, we read, Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins which they had committed above all that their fathers had done. For they also built them high places and images and groves on every high hill and under every green tree. And there were also sodomites in the land. And they did according to all the abominations of the nations, which the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. So instead of rebuking these practices, Israel adopts them. 
And th these are, this is God's family. This is the family that God wants to work with, and this is how wicked and evil they are. In Jeremiah, the prophet writes, And it came to pass through the lightness of her whoredom that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and with stalks. So it's not just going under every green tree. Another pagan practice was to worship stones. And this is like a, today we see uh, Islam bowing down five times a day to a stone. This is ancient cultic pagan practice. And they want to dress it up and call it whatever they pretend they want to call it and pretend it comes from Abraham. It doesn't. It comes from paganism. And here we see Israel involved in this same paganism. So we come back now to Isaiah, and we see it's not just the green trees, it's also the smooth stones. Among the smooth stones of the stream is your portion. They, they are your lot. So they would pick these smooth stones and be very specific about the stones and think that some kind of spirit was in them. So he says, they, they are your lot. Even to them have you poured a drink offering. Instead of worshipping Yahweh, they're worshipping the stone. And has offered a meat offering. Should I receive comfort in these? And we see the exact same thing today. Israel just can't wait to embrace everything Islamic instead of worshipping the true God. Upon a lofty and high mountain have you set your bed. Even there went you up to offer sacrifice. Behind the doors also and the posts have you set up your remembrance. For you have discovered yourself to another other than me. You are gone up and have enlarged your bed and made a covenant with them. You love their bed where you saw it. So this, this is wholehearted uh, commitment to idolatry instead of the worship of Yahweh. And you went to the king with ointment, and did increase your perfumes, and did send your messengers far off, and did debase yourself even unto Hades, or Sheol. You are wearied in the greatness of your way. Yet, said you not, there is no hope. So instead of, instead of realizing that there's no hope, you didn't say that. You had found the life of your hand. You have found the life of your hand. Therefore, you were not grieved. So you love this. You, you just thought, this is fantastic. Instead of realizing that your whole way is being destroyed, and we see this today. Look around us. Suicide is at epidemic rates. Drug addiction, epidemic rates. Uh, adultery, epidemic rates. Depression, epidemic rates. And instead of saying, our hope is lost, what are we doing? Whatever we're doing, it's not working. Nope. We just, we just do more, and we promote it even more. And so, same thing with ancient Israel. Instead of saying, you, you didn't say there's no hope, you found the life of your hand, therefore you weren't grieved. And of whom have you been afraid or feared? So, today we see the same things. Again, since 9-11. The nations of Israel have become very apologetic. They're, they're, they're suffering from this uh, Stockholm Syndrome. And they're just bending over backwards to please this, this foreign religion. And they're just bringing it into the land and, and they just love it. Why? Because they're afraid. They see the slaughter everywhere and they're afraid. And God is asking, of whom have you been afraid or feared? That you have lied and have not remembered me nor laid it to your heart. Have not I held my peace even of old, and you feared me not? 
so we, we know that the, the future is going to be a time of great fear, that this beast power, he causes all both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehead. And the only reason is they're afraid. Who can make war with this beast power? Rather than fight him, let's just join him. So God is asking, who, who are you afraid of? You don't fear me? You're fearing men? Back to Isaiah 57. He says, I will declare your righteousness and your works. This is speaking sarcastically. Let me, let me talk about your righteousness and your works, for they shall not profit you. So instead of saying our hope is lost, let's repent, let's turn back to the Lord, they're doubling down. It's like, let's double down. This is the way. Let's just do this, even though it's destroying them. And God says, okay, I'm going to declare your righteousness and your works, for they shall not profit you. And when you cry, let your companies deliver you. So those people that you're running after, when you're in trouble, let's see how they help you. When you cry, let your companies deliver you. But the wind shall carry them all away. Vanity shall take them. But... He that puts his trust in me shall possess the land. So again, we go back to the first part of Isaiah 56. Those that commit to doing judgment and justice. Those that honor the Sabbath and are keeping the commandments of the Lord and are looking to the return and the appearing of the Lord with great hope. He that puts his trust in me shall... So the, the, Israel is being split into two camps. Those that are repenting and turning to God and those that are doubling down in their, in their folly. And so God says, okay, those that are doubling down, I'm telling you, there's going to be a sword on their neck, the likes of which men have, it's unprecedented. This is going to be the time of Jacob's trouble. Eventually he'll be saved out of it, but he's going to go through this, this, this washing machine to make him clean. But those that trust in the Lord, he says, but he that puts his trust in me shall possess the land. So God is coming and he's going to make the world righteous. He's going to put the world right. And Israel will possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain and shall say, cast you up, cast you up, prepare the way, take up the stumbling block out of the way of my people. So these people are going to realize the Lord is coming. Let's prepare a highway for our God and take these obstacles out of the way so that we can make this, make his path clear. So these, these ones that put their trust in him shall say, cast you up, cast you up, prepare the way, take up the stumbling block out of the way of my people. For thus says the high and the lofty one that inhabits eternity. This is who's speaking. The God of Israel is the true God, the true creator. And anybody else, Hare Krishna, Allah, Buddha, the spaghetti monster, all these false gods. Finally, it's going to be clear. All of this was nonsense. And there is only one true creator, and it is the lofty one, the high and the lofty one, the holy one of Israel, the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity. This is who's speaking, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. With him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. Like this is mind-blowing. The holy one, the high and lofty one, the one that inhabits eternity, also dwells with him that is of a contrite and a humble spirit. So if we are contrite, if we are repentant, if we humble ourselves, the God of the universe will dwell with us. The God that inhabits eternity will dwell with us for eternity. It's amazing.
So he says, I dwell in the high and holy place, with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. That's right. My enemy, don't rejoice over me when you see me fall, because my Lord is going to lift me up. Don't rejoice over me when you see my day of darkness, because the Lord is my light. And that's what the righteous say. And we can be humble, and we can, we can wait for him. This is our Lord. We have waited for him. And here he is. So he's coming to, to revive our spirit and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. For I will not contend, and this is our message to Israel, and this is our message to Judah. God is furious with you. He is furious with you. He's going to destroy you. But he says here right in the prophet Isaiah, For I will not contend forever. I will not contend forever. Neither will I be always angry. For the spirit should fail before me, and the souls which I have made. So God is not going to be angry forever. And we see this in Jeremiah. Listen to what the prophet Jeremiah says. He says, For thus says the Lord, Like as I have brought all this great evil upon this people. So it is God that is doing this. The wicked, the heathen think they're doing it. They, they think it's their own doing. But God is the one that in Habakkuk, he says he's preparing the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation. God is the one that's doing it. And so he says, like as I have brought all this great evil upon this people. So a great evil is coming upon this people. And God is saying the same way that I brought this great evil upon this people, in the same way will I bring upon them all the good that I have promised them. So there's a process. God is going to, and this is what Moses was telling us in Deuteronomy 30, that he's going to bring this, this, this blessing upon these people, but he's got to drive them to repentance first. And there's great evil that is coming upon the nations of Israel. It's coming upon us to drive us to repentance so that God can actually use us in righteousness. So in the same way that he brings this great evil upon this people, in the same way he's going to bring all the good that he's promised them. In chapter 4 of Jeremiah, Jeremiah says, Then said I, Ah, Lord God, surely you have greatly deceived this people and Jerusalem, saying you shall have peace, whereas the sword reaches unto the soul. In chapter 4 he continues, At that time shall it be said to this people and to Jerusalem, A dry wind of the high places in the wilderness toward the daughter of my people, not to fan nor to cleanse, even a full wind from those places shall come unto me, now also I give sentence against them. Behold, he shall come as clouds, and his chariot shall be as a whirlwind. His horses are swifter than eagles. Woe unto us, for we are spoiled. So this is the great evil that God is bringing upon this people. And Jeremiah saw it. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. But he shall be saved out of it. He's going to be driven to repentance and then brought back to the land to serve the purpose that God has in mind for Israel. Back to Isaiah 57, continuing verse 17. For the iniquity of the Lord, for the iniquity, sorry, of his covetousness was I angry and struck him. I hid me and was angry. And he went on frowardly in the ways of his heart. So he was just, Israel was just so corrupt. And this is why God was angry with Israel. And he struck Israel, and he hid himself from Israel. 
so that everyone's like, where's your God? And people are saying, like, how, if God exists, how could this happen? Well, God is hiding, and he's allowing all of this to play its course. But he's saying he did it because he was angry, and, and instead of repenting, Israel continues in his corruption. I have seen his ways, and I will heal him. So God has not forsaken Israel. He's punishing Israel, and he's going to heal Israel. And this is why the Messiah came, to heal the breach between God and his people. I have seen his ways, and will heal him. I will lead him also, and restore comforts unto him and to his mourners. I create the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to him that is far off, and to him that is near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. So after all of this destruction, God declares peace. It is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it, because God has a plan for Jacob. God has a plan for Israel. And in fact, this uh, passage here, peace, peace to him that is far off, and to him that is near, says the Lord, I will heal him. This is what Paul quotes in Ephesians, when he says, and came and preached peace to you, which were afar off, and to them that were near. So uh, uh, Paul is seeing the, the, how this prophecy of Isaiah is, uh, was unfolding in his time. But there's an ultimate fulfillment of it. We just say again, Isaiah was the Bible uh, for, the, for, for the early church. And so we just see lots of quotations from Isaiah in the New Testament. Verse 20. But the wicked are like the troubled sea, when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. So this is, the, this is what the wicked are like. They can't have peace. And it just, their corruption comes up even more. We really see what they're made of if they cannot be driven to repentance. There is no peace, says my God, to the wicked. So there's no peace to the wicked. And this is, uh, God is driving Israel to repentance. But not everybody's going to make it. Not everyone's going to repent. And uh, Malachi says that the wicked will be ashes under our feet. So, oh well. Even so, oh well. Amen. So there is no peace, says my God to the wicked. So we have to warn them. And that's why now we come to Isaiah 58. This is the context of a well-known scripture. Cry aloud, spare not, because there is no peace for the wicked. We have to ensure that we, we alert Israel to this great evil that's coming. So cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression. God has a people. They're called Israel, the tribes of Israel. We have a job to cry aloud. These, these people are in deep darkness. They are at the depth of depra depravity. And somebody has to go to them and say, this is wickedness. And, and they're going to position it like it's righteousness. They're, they're, they're like, what's your problem? We're, we're, this, is, this is wonderful. Abortion is a wonderful thing. Let's cheer over infanticide. Let's cheer over third trimester abortion. Let's cheer over fornication and, and adultery. And even though our children are committing suicide in epidemic, at epidemic rates, let's just keep going. And somebody has to say, this is madness. In fact, it's more than madness. It's wickedness. This is of the devil. And somebody needs to cry aloud without sparing. No apology. So in the, in the, in the uh, era of political correctness, we don't care. We speak truth. We speak ancient words without apology. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression. Show my people 
their transgression, and the house of Jacob their sins. Very specific. There's a very specific people that need to be brought to repentance and need to be told about their sins. Here, Micah tells us about fulfilling this prophecy. In Micah 3, he says, But truly, I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord. I've been empowered by the Spirit of the Lord, and of judgment, and of might, to do what? To declare unto Jacob his transgression, and to Israel his sin. So this is Holy Spirit work. And Micah was filled with the Holy Spirit to do exactly what Isaiah said needed to be done, to declare unto Jacob his transgression, and to Israel his sin. So what is this transgression, and what is this sin? Micah says in chapter 3, Hear this, I pray you, verse 9, you heads of the house of Jacob. So the leaders that Isaiah was prophesying about. Micah's begging them to listen. Hear this, I pray you, you heads of the house of Jacob, and princes of the house of Israel, that abhor judgment and pervert all equity. This is what the leaders in Israel do. They abhor judgment. Common sense. Like, can you make a common sense judgment? They hate it. It's, it, it's, it's like, that, that, they're going to call that an abomination. That, that's immoral. So their, their sense of wickedness and righteousness is all upside down. What is right, they say, is wrong. What is evil, they say, is good. And what is good is evil, and what is wrong is right. They're all upside down and sideways. And so they abhor judgment and pervert all equity. Micah says, For behold, the Lord comes forth out of his place, and will come down, and tread upon the high places of the earth. This is the God that we worship. Not some Greek philosophical concept that's way up in, in the otherness and, and is too great to have anything to do with man. No. The God that we worship came down to earth and formed man and fellowshiped with man on the earth and came to earth to sacrifice himself for man and is coming back to earth to judge man. And so Micah says, our God, the Holy One of Israel is going to come forth out of his place and he's going to come down to earth and he's going to tread upon the high places of the earth. This is the God that we worship. And the mountains shall melt under him and the valleys shall be cleft as wax before the fire and as the waters that are poured down a steep place. Why is he doing this? Why is our God going to come and tread upon the high places of the earth? Why is this happening? Because of the transgression of Jacob is all of this. All of this wrath of God is happening because of the transgression of Jacob. For the transgression of Jacob is all of this, and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? And what are the sins of Israel? Well, Micah's glad we asked because he's going to tell us. What is the transgression of Jacob? Isn't it Samaria? So we'd have to go into the history and say, what happened in Samaria? What was the sin of Jeroboam and the false worship of Jeroboam that is at the root of all of Israel's wickedness? Isn't it Samaria? And what are the high places of Judah? Are they not Jerusalem? So if we really want to declare the transgression of Jacob and the sins of Judah, we have to study the history of Samaria and we have to study the history of Jerusalem. And we have to see the wickedness and the sinfulness that took place in Samaria and in Jerusalem to get at the root of Israel's sin. Ezekiel says, 
Again, and we're familiar with this, chapter 33, verse 1. Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of your people, and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon a land, when God does it, God is the one who orchestrates this evil. When I orchestrate this evil to slaughter my people, when I bring the sword upon a land, if the people of the, land, of the land take a man of their coasts and set him for their watchman, if when he sees the sword come upon the land, he blows the trumpet and warn the people, then whosoever hears the sound of the trumpet and takes not warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. So for those of us who understand the prophets, who understand what God is doing, God has set us as the watchman. And we have to cry aloud and spare not and tell Israel their sins. That the world is changing rapidly and it's changing the way it is and it's not good for the nations of Israel. It's not good. So who are the nations of Israel? We need to look for a people who are incredibly wealthy, who are far advanced beyond other nations. And really through no uh, credit of their own. The, 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 the magnitude of wealth that they enjoy is just, it, it's far beyond what anybody else enjoys. That it can't just be human ingenuity. There needs to be, a, the, the explanation is there's a supernatural blessing. And, you know, if we're honest with ourselves and we look at the world, and here's a map of billionaires in the world, and the, the, the dark brown are where the wealthiest, wealthiest people live. You know what? They live in the Americas. They live in primarily in North America and primarily in the United States. The blue are where the poorest people in the world live. And you know where the poorest, most backward people in the world live? They live in the Middle East and North Africa. And, or really Africa, but Middle East and North Africa, but all of Africa. These, these people, and it's not, are they stupid? Are they, are they worse than everybody else? Or are the Americans just naturally brilliant? Or is there something happening here where the people of Israel are the people that are the most blessed people in the earth? And now the world is changing in such a way that they are being despised and they are going to be slaughtered. And, and somebody needs to understand what is happening in the world. And somebody needs to be able to explain this to others. And this is what God is saying. So he says, if we understand what is going on in the world, and we understand the prophets, we have to warn the Judeo-Christian nations. Tell them who they are, and tell them what God is doing in the earth, and how he's going to use the underprivileged nations who feel resentment towards all the prosperity that the Judeo-Christian nations have, and realize that this is the sword. And it's on that those people from these lands are going to come upon the lands of Israel. And they're going to infiltrate even the highest levels of government. And they're going to figure out how the whole government system works. And they're going to prepare to bring down these, these nations. And so this is the sword. He says, but if they don't take warning, that's on themselves. Their blood is on their own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but he didn't take warning. His blood shall be upon him. But he that takes warning shall deliver his soul. But if the watchman 
sees the sword come. This is what we were reading in Isaiah uh, 56, the last part, beginning in verse 9. That these, these are dumb dogs, and they're, they're, the beasts are coming. The sword is on the land. If the watchman sees the sword come, and blow not the trumpet, you, you can see this happening, but you don't care. You think tomorrow is going to be much the same as today, only better. If the watchman sees the sword come, and blow not the trumpet, and the people are not warned, if the sword come, and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. That is scary. That God will say, you are guilty of murder because you didn't warn the people about their sins. And you didn't warn the people that God is bringing the sword. In fact, the sword is on the land. The sword is in our governments. The sword is upon us. And all it takes is a snap of the fingers and suddenly heads are rolling everywhere. But if we don't warn, then we're guilty. When these heads roll, God puts that blood on us. He says here, verse 7, So you, O son of man, and when we read O son of man, let's say he's dead, Ezekiel's dead and buried. So who's son of man today when the sword is on the land? It's those who are reading the scriptures and understand what the son of man understood and who can articulate the scriptures of the son of man. The burden now lies on us to be the Ezekiels, to be the Micahs, to be the Isaiahs, and to tell the nations what these ancient prophets, the, 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 the revelation and the prophecy that these ancient prophets received, not so much for their day, but for our day. And so there needs to be people alive today who can give voice to the ancient prophets and who work as a team to get this message out. And the more we work as a team, the louder we can cry. The more we fragment ourselves and work in these little independent groups, and we have no power, we have no voice, then how are the, how are the people going to be warned? So how, how can we come together with one voice and cry aloud with, a, with, with the message of the ancient prophets? So you, O son of man, I have set you, a watchman, unto the house of Israel. God wants Israel warned. Therefore, you shall hear, hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. So this is not just the people setting up a watchman. This is God setting up a watchman and saying, warn these people from me. You Listen to the word from my mouth. In other words, for us today, study, you know, we, we don't have people today who are receiving this kind of revelation. The revelation has been received and it's written down. We just have to study it. And then we need to understand it and proclaim it. You shall hear the word at my mouth. So for us today, that means we're going to study the prophets because the word has already been given. And then warn, we need to know who Israel is. And then we need to warn them from God. We need to say, look, this is what the prophets are telling you. In fact, we need to be very clear that as much as this applies to Israel physically, it applies to us who have received the Holy Spirit. And Ephesians, Paul says, let no man deceive you with vain words. Don't, don't, don't slip here. Don't be fooled. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things, and you just have to read earlier what these things are, but all of this sexual immorality, because of these things comes the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. So while we're warning others, let's make sure that we don't fall away ourselves. So we need to be the, the example of, of repentance as we are preaching repentance to the nations of Israel. Back to Isaiah. He says, 
Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. As a nation that did righteousness. So we have all of this religiosity, which isn't real. But we love to talk about it, whether Jew or Christian. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. As a nation that did righteousness and forsook not the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching unto God. And to see this, Ezekiel says, Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house. You dwell in the midst of a rebellious house, which have eyes to see and see not. They have ears to hear and hear not, for they are a rebellious house. So this is how God characterizes Israel. They're a rebellious house. Back to Isaiah. Wherefore, why have we fasted, they say, so this is the false religiosity, why have we fasted, they say, and you don't see? Why have we afflicted our soul, and you take no knowledge? Behold, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure, and exact all your labors. So you're forcing your servants, your employees to work, and you're extracting as much labor as you can out of them, while you're pretending to keep the Sabbath, and while you're pretending to fast. Behold, you fast for strife and debate, and to smite with the fist of wickedness. You shall not fast as you do this day, to make your voice to be heard on high. So don't fast so that I, I conform to you. We fast so that we conform to God. Is, is it such a fast that I've chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush, and to, spe to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? So God is not impressed with all of this, again, religiosity, this, this show of religion. Isn't this the fast that I've chosen? To loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free. If you're fasting, you're fasting to become godlike in your character and, and to behave and treat others the way God would. And that you break every yoke. Is it not to deal your bread to the hungry, and that you bring the poor that are cast out to your house, when you see the naked, that you cover him, and that you hide not yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth as the morning. So again, this is the whole process. God is driving them to repentance, but it has to be a true wholehearted repentance. So if they do this, if they do this type of fast, then shall your light break forth as the morning and your health shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your re reward. Then shall you call, and the Lord shall answer. This is, this is what will get the Lord's attention when you truly repent and truly change wholeheartedly. You shall cry, and he shall say, Here I am. If you take away from the midst of you the yoke, and putting forth of the finger, speaking vanity, so stop your oppression and change, and then God will have a relationship with you. And if you draw out your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall your light rise in obscurity and your darkness be as the noonday. And the Lord shall guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and make fat your bones. And you shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. And again, this is all, all what we see here in, in Isaiah it goes back to the foundational prophecy, which we saw in Deuteronomy when Moses wrote, And it shall come to pass, when all these things are come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before you, and you shall call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, 
and shall return to the Lord your God, and shall obey his voice according to all that I command you this day, you and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul. That that's when God is going to then gather you and, and, and give you his Holy Spirit and circumcise your heart and truly have a relationship with you. Micah says the same thing. So that's the root, uh, Deuteronomy is the foundational prophecy. And then all of the other prophets, including Isaiah, are really uh, amplifying what Moses saw. So Moses is the foundation. Isaiah is really the breadth and width. So Isaiah goes way back into prehistory and way forward into the future. And so Isaiah has the, the broadest view of prophecy, but Moses has the foundational prophecy. And then all the other prophets fit within that framework of the foundation of Moses and the breadth of Isaiah. So here's Micah. Be in pain and labor to bring forth. So, so this whole evil that God is bringing upon Israel, it is the process of laboring to bring forth. Be in, be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in travail. So this time of Jacob's trouble that he's going to be saved out of, Micah's telling us it's a process of laboring, of, of bringing to, the, to birth. For now shall you go forth out of the city, and you shall dwell in the field, and you shall go even to Babylon. So, so that's the curse. You're going to be taken to Babylon. And again, we have to understand, where is Babylon today? And what does this mean? There shall you be delivered. So Israel is going to be delivered from Babylon. There the Lord shall redeem you from the hand of your enemies. So, so it's the same process. You're going to be driven to repentance. And when you repent, you're going to be gathered. That's what Moses saw. That's what Isaiah sees. That's what all the prophets are saying. Back to finishing up here in Isaiah. And they, verse 12, And they that shall be of you, in other words, your descendants, shall build the old waste places. So this destruction that is going to come upon Judah and Jerusalem, your descendants will actually rebuild it. So they're going to rebuild Jerusalem. They that shall be of you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. So God has a plan for Israel, and the whole world is going to acknowledge that the God of the universe is the God of Israel, and that Israel are the people of God, they are the priests of God, and that's when the world is right. And they're going to be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, so again, many, many are um, uh, not clear on the requirement to keep the Sabbath, they think that the Sabbath is done away, no need to keep it, and yet the, 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 the Sabbath is constantly in the prophetic word. And we're constantly looking forward to a time when the Sabbath will be honored. So, so why would God want us to desecrate the Sabbath today? If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, so the Sabbath is the holy of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. If you do these things, then shall you delight yourself in the Lord. And so this, this is the good news, that this anger that God has towards his people, it's not forever. That God is actually, he has a plan for his people, and he's taking them through a process. So if they, do, if they are driven now to this repentance, and they observe the Sabbath, and they keep his law, and they keep his judgment, then shall you delight yourself in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride upon the high places of the earth, 
and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. This is just wonderful news, but we have to understand it. And we have to understand there's a great evil to come. And it is designed specifically for the house of Jacob. Because God is driving the house of Jacob to repentance. And our job is to bring this message to Jacob. And to bring this message to Judah. And, and those that repent, wonderful. And those that refuse to repent, oh well. There will be no peace for the wicked. And so this is Isaiah chapter 57 and chapters 57 and 58. Next week, God willing, we'll cover uh, chapter 59. And then we will have uh, an opportunity for some live Q&A. And remember, that's going to be Thursday evening, not Wednesday evening. So thanks so much for joining us. And uh, I'll, ch I'll, I'll jump on the chat for a little bit. And I believe Pastor Murray will be available on the chat as well. But we'll be available live next week. Thanks for joining us. Uh, these are the ancient words of the prophets. The more we dig into the ancient words of the prophets, the greater understanding we'll have of the future. So it is the ancient words, the historical words, that give us vision and clarity into what the future holds. And Jesus Christ is the Holy One of Israel. He's the one that inhabits eternity, and he dwells with the contrite and the humble. Let's be encouraged by the Word of God.